1: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
2: Hi, I'm Becky Hill and welcome to my podcast about dance music and its culture, where I'll be talking to handpicked dance music legends to discuss their music, their careers, the influence on the scene and how rave has changed over the years. I've asked my guests to bring three tracks with them that mean or say something to them. It could be an artist that's influenced them, a beat that has changed them, or a record that reminds them of a certain time or place. And I've bought my own track which defines why they're my guest. This week I am very excited to say that I am chatting with The Executioner aka Andy C. Okay, Andy, I can see language. Sorry, it's my podcast. <laughs> so what the fuck are like? <laughs> I can do what I want. <laughs> so, I think I think the first time I met you was, well, the first time I met you was in some dodgy little cabin at the back of uh, Global Gathering. And uh, It was, yes. <laughs> and wow. I managed to sneak my way into your, your dressing room. Amazing. And um, you looked at me as if... I started gushing about how much of a fan I was of yours. And I just saw this look on your face go, how did she get here? <laughs> <laughs> Who? Did she show her boobs to the security guard? How did she get here? I was actually with Rudimental at the time. I was touring with Rudimental. Yes, you were. And... Um, I then, once this kind of look kind of glazed across your face, I then decided to go, oh, I'm the girl that did Afterglow. Exactly. And everything changed. <laughs> and it all <laughs>
3: fell into place. It did. <laughs> um,
2: so and that, was,
3: that kind of blew my mind, that moment, having um, <laughs> played that tune 1,000 times by then and, uh, yeah. you know, been amazed by the vocal on that tune. Thanks very it much. It was incredible.
2: Thanks. It was, because um, I don't think it had, technically, I don't think it had been released when I first met you. I think you were playing it in your sets. I'm not sure whether the release date had happened. Mm. Um, But yeah, and then we got into the studio um, with Tom Aspel, and it was me, you and Tom. And I think where I'd like to start is the story you told me in studio with um, how Ram was created. Yeah. Yeah. And what I'd like to know is how prevalent drum and bass was at the time, if it was... Because for me, I've only ever been brought up with drum and bass. It's been 25 years, really. And um, uh, that it's been going from strength to strength um, and now is an unstoppable genre in the UK, especially, um, and across Europe. But uh, how did it all begin for you?
3: Um, Well, it all began for me... um Drama base didn't exist when mm. it began for me. It was it was my sister took me to a um my sister's five years older and uh she was going out to all the early raves like Sunrise and Fantasia and this, that and the other mm. and she was um I just wanted to be part of her gang, you know, pirate radio. (laughs) We was listening to Centre Force when I was getting up for school in the morning and I was nicking mixtapes off her and drawing acid faces and all that on (laughs) on them and this, that and the other. And uh, she took me and my best mate James to an illegal rave in a barn uh, in Essex, which was billed as an engagement party, but it was actually a rave. (laughs) And I was in, I was 13. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we went to that and that was where the first time I'd had any kind of experience of the, of a rave or the whole, you know, everything that goes. I mean, it was exciting. It was exciting. It wasn't that full, but it was a dusty barn with a few lights and uh, some DJs playing apparently. And um, mm. we're going to play mm. one of the tunes that, that got played that night in a minute. Um, and that's where my journey into loving this... Uh, music began and the obsession began. But, you know, hooking up with with Ant to make tunes. Mm -hmm. uh, We was finding ourselves and, you know, making, I was obsessed with Shut Up and Dance, listening to Pirate Radio and I was also obsessed with um, anything with a breakbeat in it, funk records, sampling them. And, um, the early tunes were basically 128 BPM and they just had bucket loads of breaks in there and loads of bleeps and loads of mad sounds and um, I guess you'd call them hardcore. Right. But I didn't know. Drum and bass didn't exist. Jungle didn't exist at that point. Yeah. And um, and yeah, that's where my musical journey began. And Ram was born out of, you know, 16. Just done my exams at school, mm. I think. Um, I can't remember doing them. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't pick up the results. You know, my my best mate, James, who actually came on a jolly with us to Margate last weekend because I did a gig in Dreamland in Margate. Um, he actually picked up the exam results for me, bless him. He's, I think he's still got them.
2: <laughs> no way.
3: Yeah. I'm like, uh, I don't want to know. I just want to be a DJ, man. You know, do you still so, not know? Um, I, I, yeah, I do. And there's nothing to shout home about you know <laughs> I was kind of I was decent at school in terms of like you know but I was just too busy I was school school was a social club really yeah you know what I mean um not that I condone it and uh you know but it just I was very very focused on wanting to be in music right and I used to do my mates mixtapes. I used to stay up all night DJing um doing mixes at home. Mm. And used to bring in mixtapes at school and that was like my currency at school. Was sorting out people mixtapes and stuff.
2: No way. How much would you charge?
3: Well, um I think it was uh, a few dinner money runs, fish <laughs> <laughs> chips and curry sauce up the nice. shop up the top. I mean, you know it it was yeah. I'd say that I'll say there was a few bargains going. Um but that was that was <laughs> and it was like you know exam results and uh, we were at dinner and mum's like you you know got to get a job and um, my sister's friend Darren had a printers and I'd been to his place um, a couple of times and he's like oh you know you can come work for me doing an apprenticeship here and and, you know see how it goes and you know that's what I was kind of going to do and then Sarah I'd been working on this EP for six months uh, on a Fostrax reel to reel and old school stuff and, what uh, production
2: system did you use?
3: Uh, As an S nine fifty sampler, it was uh, Pro twenty four on an Atari ST with a Midex interface going into a Fostex reel to reel machine <laughs> and an old mixing desk. It was very very simple and basic, but it was a labour of love, and it took right. me it took me forever to make. And um, um, it's called the Sound EP. It was actually named after you know me and my mate James were. Um, shall we say, chilling out one evening, and uh, <laughs> it's on the side of a bottle of Jack Daniels. Sister, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> hence the name of the EP. Um, but it was it was like, she's like, why don't you start a record label? Mm. And I was like, what do you mean start a record label? Well, you could start a record label. How do you do that? What, what should we call it? So we're literally having dinner, and she's like, well, you know, I'm thinking up all these silly names, and she's like, you know, you're an Aries, Ram. Mm-hmm. You know, because we're thinking about all the things, and that's where the name Ram comes from, because I'm an Aries. And she's like, yeah, I've got a great idea for the logo. And she sat down with a felt-tip pen and hand-drew the logo. No way. Uh, at the dinner table. And then and then she she got a bit of A4 and did it neater. And then I looked <laughs> in the yellow pages under printers. Right. Found printers and then found the first one that said, and record label print, you know, because it used to have the description. Wow. Before Google. Right. Which, you know, of course. Yeah. Uh, it used to have the description of what they would do. And one of them, quarter uh, print, code, code, something like that had the, uh, in brackets, record labels. So oh. I was like, well, they've got to be my guys. So I <laughs> rang them up and I was like, what have I got to do? And they're like, well, right, so we need... Put it all in a, in a hardbacked envelope. Tell us what you want. And so we wrote, Sarah drew the, uh, the logo, which would become the Ram logo for a good many years. And on the other side, we mocked up... The label and Ram 001 Sour Mashi P is exactly what we mocked up that no day, worry. but a little bit neater and tighter. Right, and uh, sent it off. So, is
2: this the logo with which was Ram with the A with the horns? Right, yeah. right, yeah. So, before I start asking you many questions about everything you've just said, shall we? Can you introduce your first track?
3: Well, um, said track at that um, engagement party. Yeah. In Essex. <laughs> it's
2: actually
3: funny like that. Uh, you know We Are Festival? Yes. Which i am In Birmingham, now, right? Uh, no, no, no. And that's, that's made. made. Yeah, we Are sorry. is in...
2: Essex. Essex. Yes, it is. Literally
3: a stone's throw yeah. from this. And right. I've had the privilege of playing it for the past few years. Yeah. To a slightly bigger audience than we were in this <laughs> barn that night. But it's a beautiful full circle <laughs> that I now go and like play on play on like a main stage at this huge, huge festival with like 60,000... I don't know. Crazy. But anyway, many, many moons ago... When I was 13, me and my mate James, my sister took us to this engagement party in a barn in Essex. <laughs> and this was the tune that blew my mind that night. And this is Young MC and Know How.
0: The busiest rhymes ever made by man Are going into this mic written by this hand Are coming out of this mouth made by this tongue
1: I tell you now my man, my name is young But so you think that this is your destiny To get the best of me But I suggest to be quiet or don't even try From the east and west of me Taking it and never breaking it Or even shaking it Grooving it to know always moving it Cause
3: I'm not faking it Pulling out rhymes like books off the shelf Born in England, miss a hollow Start to go for myself This is stone
1: cold rhyming, no frills, no fluffs And it's no accident that these rhymes sound tough I'm going
2: off baby, there's no turning Oh back. what an absolute stonker that is
3: That is a stonker. I mean, stonker At the time, I was into. uh, I used to play drums when I was really, really young. Right. So that had the, you know, the most famous drum. I I didn't know it was Apache, but that had the drum beat, the wah wah guitar from Shaft, um, and the bass line and the lyrics. And I just became absolutely obsessed with that tune, (laughs) and that was my first raving experience.
2: So, do you think music is now more accessible? For my generation, for people who want to find music, or do you think it's more throwaway because it's easier to find? Uh,
3: that is a very, very big question, right? <laughs> but um, how do I feel? So from a journey and an excitement thing, the buzz of shall we say, hearing a tune on pirate radio, and they didn't say what it was, and you're you're dialing the number, and you're like, you want to talk to the studio and say, what was that <laughs> tune you played three tunes ago, or Recording it on your TDK tape machine and then having and wearing that tape. I had one of those. Yeah, wearing that tape to the ground. Now, obviously, um, the difference is um, we could be sitting here now, and I'm like, "Oh, do you remember this tune from 1994?" And you'd be like, "What?" And I'd be like, "Boom, YouTube. Yeah, it just exists." Yeah. Is that worse? I don't know. You know, is it better? Does it accelerate music faster? Does it mean it's more throwaway? It certainly. Uh, Possibly because of the nature of this, such a fast uh, rotation of new music coming out, Mm. harder for classics to take hold Yeah, in a sense of, for all we know, because of the fast turnaround of music these days, a few classics or potential classics haven't become classics because yeah. they haven't been given the chance to breathe yeah. and grow and mm-hmm. naturally lay down their foundations in whereas, the
2: communities that exactly would have been whereas created, back yeah. in the
3: day tunes would have to exist for 6 or 12 18 months before they was even obtainable uh, right so they became classics by sheer nature of that like as yeah. especially as a dj if you knew like you know if we were in music house i mean we was in music house and um Everyone was queuing up.
2: Where's music, House?
3: Holloway Road. Right. And uh, that was where we went to cut our dubs. So the DJs would get in a queue and you would basically first come first served. And Jar uh, Josh Shaka turned up in case, and he was having a sound system battle, in which case you went <laughs> straight to the back of the queue and he'd be cutting three million dubs and you'd probably wait two weeks. But <laughs> we were in the queue and um, it was kind of hierarchical system. You know, right. there were the, the dons. You know, Ryder, Fabio, Frost would yeah. turn up. and Everyone that and that. mentions them and you too. And, <laughs> you know, naturally sort of there'd be an ecosystem where you'd sort of think, oh, I thought I was third in the queue and now I'm sick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it was all good. We just went for food runs. Right. And we right. went to get, like, everybody food and drink and stuff. And it no was, way. oh, what a community. You, yeah. You could turn up there at midday and still be there at one in the morning. Right. But all you'd be generally talking about was music, tunes, raves what's coming up right and, and all the djs well i mean we formed such incredible relationships you know yeah and uh, i met some f- heroes and and you know people like you know fresh and bad company down there ed russian optical like we met there wow you know and these people would become legends and uh yeah but this one day i you know just as sorry i have digress we'll go back to the i <sighs> uh, saw so i'm there and when i'm talking about a classic taking hold i'm in the queue Jumping Jack Frost turns up and I, and he's like and, and he's like I've got his tune and he's like you know I can't put on his voice anymore cause I <laughs> but he's like I've got this tune I want you to have it wow. so it, we've gone in on, the, and he's like only used, and he's come in on the cutting session, pretty much like a room we're in now. Yeah. And he's come in and he's put a dat in the machine and it's Leviticus, the burial, which is like, you know, and I'm sitting there as a, as a kid.
2: Right.
3: And I'm playing, I think I was playing Jungle Fever at Roller Express or some massive event at Roller Express that weekend, which was a huge rave venue in North London. Right. On the North Circular. And I was playing and, it, you know. They would be the events where you'd turn up, you'd have to turn up armed with dubs. So he's played Leviticus the Burial, and he's like, I want you to have this tune. No one's gonna have this tune. I want you to play that. And oh, so no. can you imagine me going to jungle fever and dropping the burial mm. for the first time? I mean, that's what that's how these things, you know, like 10-inch dub plate press, and I'm starting my set with Leviticus the burial, and everyone's like first of all they're like what a tune and they're like how has he got this tune right you know yeah and it's like that was that was the beauty of music house and Mm -hmm. that tune grew and then you know can you imagine off the back of that everyone cuts it and this that and the other and that tune as we know today is an all-time absolute jungle classic yeah maybe in today's it might have come and gone a bit quicker without having that sort of it grows from one dj playing it the other dj's here then they all it, and then it and it it takes a lot longer. Right. And thus the tunes create bigger foundations. Yeah. Listen, I'm not I'm not one of these guys that's like, oh man, it's so much better back in the day, man, you know, like I'm really right. not fussed about that. I love progression.
2: Okay, well that's that cleared up. Um social media. That is the Good. definitive answer for that. <laughs> Um, I'd really love to go back to um, your your relationship with Ant, actually, because yes. I don't actually know a lot about this. And I also didn't know um, Origin Unknown was you and him. That's right. Because one of the tracks you have selected was Valley of the Shadows. That's right. And I was listening on the way over here and I saw the artwork and it was obviously your sister's original logo. Yes. And um at the bottom it said everything written and produced by Andy C and Aunt Miles. Mm-hmm. How how did that come about? How did you know him? Um how who if cuz I you said earlier that he you weren't old enough to drive the car but he was.
3: No, that's right. So, i was friend of the family, right. my dad, and uh he he came round one day and um uh, you know, well, he was old enough to drive. Right. So he comes round and he <laughs> listens to me doing these crazy but like i said i sampled three million beats and basically <laughs> had them all playing at the same time right. chopped up in different ways and he was like wow that's that is absolutely mad <laughs> what are you doing but it's it's interesting do you want to come around and like because he had a studio set up and right do you want to like you know i'll come and pick you up and you know we can just jam and see what happens and um you know he's a, he's a really he's a wonderful soul and wonderful soul always helping people out um and uh, so he picks me up in, um, I forget what brand it is, but a rascal van. And it was snowing. So he comes and picks me up, chucks a sampler in there, the S- S950. And um, we go skidding off down the road in this rascal van. Oh, to- wow.
2: It's a uh, yeah. it's a proper van. What color was it?
3: I think it was kind of, it was a bit boyish. It was kind yeah. of off yellow, <laughs> I think. Um, the, um, so he picks me up. And we go and set the music up, and um, and edit history working with bands, and great knowledge of um, of studio work, and and we kind of. You know, he's a really, you know, we we just hit it off. You know, really cool. Loved hanging out. We had a great, uh, a, a likewise passion for like sci-fi and right. geekiness. And, yeah, like, you know, used to watch Star Trek. Always used to, uh, and it's a big Trekkie, so we used to have that on. And is it the
2: Jean Luc Picard. Uh, yeah, exactly. Era. Yeah, yeah. I remember there that. you go.
3: Next generation. <laughs> yeah. It is Jean Luc Picard. I mean, that was the that was the one. And um, <laughs> and yeah, we hit it off, and we and we started making these tunes and and sampling crazy stuff and. And, um, um, Desired State was born out of that, out of them early sessions. And that was our first release was called Turn On. And uh, it's at 128 BPM. Cause like I said, at the time we didn't know finding our feet. I mean, it wasn't until, you know, like, so we'd be writing tunes together and then I'd be also writing tunes on my own and Ant would be doing right. stuff on his own. But it was just, you know, a, a great meeting, like I say, a very, um, a very mystical individual mm-hmm. and um, and very helpful, incredibly helpful. He's helped so many people out. Um, and and yeah, we we carried on just making all sorts of stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Because he always used to be, what do you like? And and I used to come home. I used to go around with like shut up and dance records, like massive break beats, and oh, I want you know, or I'd tape them off of Kiss FM mm-hmm. when Steve Jackson used to play on on Kiss, and I used to tape them and say, I want to make a tune like this and and all that kind of stuff. So we basically used to try and basically plagiarise every everything that I was into, <laughs> which used to involve me sampling, sampling all sorts of funk records and right. bleeps and this, that and the other, and just try and form them into tunes. And I, I you know, would... Sometimes I'd come back and play a piano riff, and I'm into some. Now I'm into Italio piano house, and so right. we made a few piano <laughs> anthems.
2: I was going to say, what was what was the genre at one two eight? Was it acid house? Was it?
3: I guess it was. Yeah, it was kind of. Well, I always really loved acid house, so mm-hmm. I'm very into bleepy music and yeah. like and and acid and stuff like that. But at the same time, piano and rave stuff, and it was all that. But it would always have a breakbeat undercurrent in it, and that is what led on to like Sal Mash P is very breakbeat led. Yeah. Um, everything on there was basically me sampling all my old bra- And if you listen to them early tunes, six minutes could contain about 15 tunes in them because there's so many ideas that you right, want to try right. out. And then we had, um, um, so Ram was started and we were going out selling the records and um, we just had this magical four or five hours in the studio. Um, one night, when i was 16 and uh, that's where valley of the Sh- shadows came from and it was it was sampling a break and Time stretched to break, made them all scrunchy and crunchy and lovely. And then Ants like, oh, I've got this bell line arpeggio. Oh, let's try mm. that. Do 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 do. And then, oh, that sounds wicked. And then I'm like, right, bass line, which was a simple sine wave off of the uh, S1000, uh, which was the su- sub sound. And mm-hmm. then like, doo, 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 doo. oh, that's wicked. And then Ants like, I've got a sick vocal, wicked. And then the string line, and then. Before you know it, four hours later, the lights are off in the studio. Ant's dancing around by the drink, <laughs> drinks machine, <laughs> and uh, you used to have to take it was. I think there's only like eight or nine tracks, and you used to have to take all the blocks. And I just pressed Control K, repeat, and repeated the lot for about five minutes, four or five minutes, and then got the erase tool out. pressed play. I, kn- I knew what the, I knew. I wanted it to start with the bell, no the arpeggiac. Pressed play. And literally, as it was going, was like erasing the next block because of what you wanted to hear, and it got to the end of that four minutes or so, four and a half minutes, and I was like, "That'll do." And we played it back, and was like, "Yeah, man, you know, like it's like, what, what the hell? Like that'll do." And that was it.
2: Producing sounds a lot harder back in the day than it does now
3: well producing in terms of the techni- I mean the stuff the technical side of stuff that you yeah. can create now mm-hmm. at the literally flick of a switch
2: yeah, yeah. press
3: of a button mm-hmm. is in- is insane some of the stuff that we had to like sound mash P, for example because it was on an S950 and I had it time synced Up to a Fostex reel-to-reel tape machine. The S950 was monophonic for those geeks out there. It was like (laughs) monophonic, which meant you could only play if you played a three-note chord. For example, you could only play uh, one note through each channel.
2: Right. So whoa.
3: So if you were playing C major, C, E, and G, you'd have to play link them all up to a channel. You'd have to. Well, you'd have to record through the entire track. On to record them down onto a reel to oh reel tape machine, you just have to play one note at a time. I know maybe I didn't understand it, but it all seems so incredibly like time but fun at the same time because it's yeah, a journey of, of discovery. Of and course. out of that, because it was more difficult, mistakes happened. You didn't quite understand how it happened, but it just sounded cool, right? So happy
2: accidents. Well, happy accidents, Mm -hmm. and if
3: they just sound cool, they just sound cool. Whereas today, you can get very analytical about it. I know that sounds cool, but I'm not quite sure. Is it right? Right. And so you sometimes you analyze accidents, and you don't go with them,
2: yeah, because in the technical understanding, it's not right. So had origin unknown. So you made Valley of the Shadows. Yeah. Had origin unknown been given a? Because were you still. Were you still Desired State at the time? or yeah. had, Or had you...
3: No, so Origin Unknown came about... Um, because of Valley of the Shadows. Because of Valley of the Shadows. And it, because it was different. So so, so, if we say Desired State was more of contemporary what's happening, mm-hmm. this tune, Valley of the Shadows, was just different. And we, right. we knew it was different. A bit I mean, more forward I played, thinking. I played, it, I played it to my dad and he's like, wow, this really sounds different from what you've been... like. It sounds kind of cool. Right. I played it to Scott and he, he was like, man this sounds like this sounds really good I mean right. this is different and um, so we decided like on the night that that we recorded it and Ant's dancing around and he had a drinks machine in the studio and it had like the font that spelt out drinks right. became the origin unknown font and origin unknown know, right? actually comes because we're you know I, I actually forgot about this earlier because it comes because we're sci-fi uh, geeks origin unknown is a line from 2001 Space Odyssey <laughs> when it comes up on the HAL computer. Is it? Yeah. It, it types out oh, origin dot dot or Colot whatever it is, unknown.
2: No way. It's
3: one of them. And so that was like, that was, yeah, that was how sci-fi-tastic we were. And that's where it come from. And the font for it comes from the top, top of the drinks machine. And so because it was different, right. it felt like, don't know where to pigeonhole this tune. What mm-hmm. is it? we called it Origin Unknown
2: well I think we should hear it <laughs> this is uh, do you want to introduce, shall I introduce it well, I, I think th- you should introduce it okay well here. this is Valley of the Shadows by Origin Unknown 31. Did you choose? Did did you did you sample the the moon landing then in
3: 1969? Um, I I I wasn't around in 1969.
2: Well, no, but from from <laughs> that I like, I did get that. <laughs> But did you, did you pull it up? How did you, because yeah, uh, YouTube no, wouldn't have existed. So where did no, of you? of course you can't so of you. it was, uh, <laughs> Just for me, I don't know how to comprehend it. I know, that's the beauty of
3: YouTube. It. Nowadays you can be like, oh man, you know, I need something that says this. Yeah. And you type it into YouTube. And it comes up. And, and a can... search will come up and you'll have a gazillion choices yeah. of what to choose from. No, the Moonlight, like I say, we were sci-fi. It was like that, that lady had a, near, like that lady actually had, a Near death experience that was sampled from a, a BBC documentary called QED, and uh, so she, so so that's an interesting story in itself, yeah, right. So, uh, her name's Barbara, right. and um, so it was, it was a QED documentary about near death experiences, you know, when you're going down a tunnel,
2: yeah, you can you see, see, the see the light at the end the of it, the light at
3: the end. And this lady had a near death experience in childbirth. Um, you know, fortunately she survived as, as did the child and, and years later, tunnels getting played, Valley of Shadows getting played on KISS, I think it was. And we got a letter to Ram that says, um, you don't know, some along the lines, I can't remember exactly what it said, but it was like, you don't know me, but I heard your song on KISS FM the other week and the lady's voice is my mum's
2: voice. No way. <laughs> yes, I do. Was the person messaging you the child think, that survived? I think, I
3: think I think possibly, yeah. Oh, so, that's check this out. Weird. Yeah, weird, right? Amazing. Like, no way. So we ended up getting in contact with uh, with with Barbara and she we was able to reun- reunite her with um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Was she due any PRS yeah or? absolutely <laughs> I love that which is far out right I mean but how freaky is that yeah
2: that is very very
3: weird insane that is how that is how long the life of that tune has had Right, so that, so that's one mind-blowing thing.
2: Whoa. Yeah, that tune is just And like, her kid turned out to be a raver as well, if they were listening to... to, to I, I
3: would presume to so, off. yeah. Okay, I mean, sick. Aren't we all at heart? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're all ravers Is that at my mum?
2: That is the coolest thing, to go out and and be like, that's my mum's voice, that. Is they that, sampled is, my mum. That's
3: insane story, isn't it, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's, yeah, wow. So, yeah, coupled with that and sampling the old lunar landings. Um,
2: <laughs> that's so cool. Mm, mm. So, I've always been very interested in how you met Shimon. Yeah. And where that all started from and when you started producing together. You did a few with him, right? Yeah, of course. Loads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the the track I chose for for your for your arrival on my podcast was um, Body Rock by yeah. you and Shimon, which mm-hmm. is... How old is that song now? Uh...
3: Probably nineteen years, twi- uh, eighteen years. 19 so when was the years? release
2: of that two thousand two, two thousand
3: three, two thousand one? Jesus, I don't I know. I
2: don't know how I know that song, but I remember it being played by my older brother as a kid. Yeah. Um, and then I, I subsequently, it was actually through the I think it was Evil Bee's HBS series. Okay. Yeah. That um, naturally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a friend who was kind of obsessed with Evil and would play his HBS series yeah. in his car all the time uh-huh. and I think I think Logan may have played body rock in there okay and I remember hearing it being like what Ah, oh, no but it was a set it wasn't evils but it was a set of somebody and I remember the bars over the top of it being quite jokes but I remember the the tune being like yo this is this is f- like fire this is such a sick tune so how did you meet him how did you um how did you start and 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 how have you left it? Well, so
3: the 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 crazy thing is, like, I can't remember meeting Shim for the first time, but I remember we were all part of a group of like I like I was telling you earlier about, mm-hmm. you know, when you're. um the memory's a bit hazy. We were probably at a
2: party. <laughs> In
3: fact, I guarantee you we were at a party. But
2: Does he remember meeting you? I well, I don't know. Okay. I, I mean like
3: it's like uh I don't know, geezer. How did we um <laughs> It was yeah, we so we were a big part groups going out raving. And I remember we were going to initially we were going to Scott's Raves. So we'd all go out to the Raves and and obviously enjoy ourselves and uh and it became a thing where the same group of friends and then you know what it's like somehow you bump into somebody at a party mm-hmm. or at a rave and then you end up back at someone's house mm-hmm. and you're chilling and you're chatting and you're all like-minded and then it just turns into in the kitchen and, and then it just turns into like <laughs> next week what are you doing you're coming out and then right, before right. you know it you're all going and then the group's mushroomed yeah and um I was also friends with Rob Playford from Moving Shadow and Danny Donnelly from Suburban Base. Right. And they were like, You need to come to this club. I know you're going to Raves, but you've got to come to this club. What club? AWOL Paradise Club. Which is like legend it became church. Legendary.
2: Still is, AWOL. We well, still get it talked about on Base Drive. I hear a lot of it. It is church. I yeah. Mean,
3: it was for us. Yeah, yeah. A million percent. Mm. It was so influential you can't imagine. And uh, we used to, me and Shim used, I used to go and do gigs and then like I say, i parking up the car and going to the rave Yeah. and we used to go and rave and that became like, we, that was our church. I mean, he used to go out raving and then I, I remember one night he, he was like, I really want to make tunes. You know, what do I need to do? What do I need to get? And this, that, and the other. And he got a sampler and the computer and this, that, and the other, and just, you know, locked himself away and just you know, was learning it via me and right. then he'd go around Ants and, you know, hanging out around there. Right, right. And then it just all become, you know, and he's an absolute wizard with a computer and this, that and the other. And before you know it, he's, he's, he's making tunes. He's done a tune, uh, Predator with Ant. And then him and I got in the studio and the, the, f- that, the first time we got in the studio, we hmm. did um, Quest and Night Flight. Which no was which, yeah, which was literally the first time. I mean, and and that was that was quite something. I remember playing that actually at Desire in Ilford at, um, at the Island in Ilford, and just playing Quest, and it sounded so you know in the context yeah, of my set, it was I so bet. different. And I remember people looking at going, "What is this tune
2: like?" Yeah,
3: you know, and me and Jim were there going like, "This is our tune, man. This is great." You know, like it's mad. And that tune has stood the test of time. So off at the back of that, we made. Um, We made another EP and then um, him and and I joined forces and did Ram Trilogy, which did a number of tracks, you know, like Titan and No Reality. And we did the Molten Beats album and then. Yeah. And then you know it was it was it was fantastic so creative and off the back of that actually no turbulence you know moving moving fusion track turbulence so Mm -hmm. we were friends shim was friends with uh jeff and dan that became uh moving fusion and they were they were two mates and we we'd you know we'd be hanging out playing street fighter or or talking about pro pro evo right (laughs) or you know just trying to beat each other it was like
2: right right right
3: and and so if we'd make a tune They'd be like, we've got to go and make a tune and <laughs> outdo it. Right. And I remember li- going round there. We went round there one night and Jeff played the tune and it was Turbulence, which is like absolute legendary drum and bass tune from, I mean, yeah, yeah, cra- yeah. and to it hear is, that in the huge. bedroom as in like that's their riposte to whatever we yeah. made the week before <laughs> was so cool. And it, yeah, it was really it was really good times, you know. But it, we were just going out, having fun, raving right. and making tunes. And Body Rock was... It was, I had got a digital mixer, Mackie digital mixer, which meant that it was, it pre it predated like the, the making tunes in computers now. But what yep. it was, it had total recall. So basically you could save a mix and come back to it.
2: Right. And so
3: it was like, that was mind blowing at the time. Yeah, it, I bet. Because back in the day, if you finished a tune and then you went voom on the faders and pulled them all down, tune's it done. It would have been gone. Tune's done. Right. Whatever you've got on that,
2: okay.
3: The tune is done,
2: right? Yeah, so you couldn't no go back and edit. Got
3: you. Um, and this, this was the, this was like got a Mac, got a digital Mackie desk, and now you've got total recall. So the tune, you can go back to it. You can work on other tunes, and then go back to what you were working. Wow. on. So I was at, at my at my my place mm-hmm. in the studio making what is the B side to Body Rock. We were making the the other side. And, um, and yeah, it was like, you know what? Is this kind of ain't going nowhere at the moment. And I was like, should we save it down and start something else? And literally, within a, a matter of minutes, the beat's there. Um, and then the beat's such a wonky beat, isn't it? So bizarre. What, body rockers? Yeah.
2: I just want to know how you went there. Well, that,
3: that is a... Um, so the beat was from an old project... Right, uh, or the beat came, it didn't even, it was just there, and um, at the time when I'm saying like I'm talking at the time, yeah, it, it was there and it was go. and it's it's a match, as uh, a mashup in the emu on a time uh, restructure thing. And the the bass line is a sound uh, which is like literally, you know, if you sit down at the keyboard and, and it just goes, meh, meh, meh. but it's like. It's like pressing a C of I think an E flat and then an E flat and, and then the tail of it went. Nee-nee. Yeah,
2: because it joined and it, up. It's like, right? And it, it was
3: like it, uh, we were sitting in the studio listening to it and literally laughing, going, "What is this? Is it good? <laughs> I don't know. You know, like yeah, it, you know, and the big rise up of the. Yes, comes out of, yes. an, of an old it's plugin, a, uh, <laughs> a GRM. So it was early days of plugins in the computer.
0: Right, so okay. it's like the
3: GRM tools uh, created this suite of plugins, and it was basically um, pressing record on a, on a, a DAW, the sampler, playing the beat, and manually going. No and, way!
2: And like so you had up, to input all and of that, and that yourself, and then, and
3: then and then recording it down, and then resampling it in. And because that's what that's how everything was about. Like. I mean, the, the right. amount of time that Ant and and I and and then and then Shin back uh, back in the day would spend like literally ninety minutes press record on a DAT and just sit there going meow, 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 like just doing stuff recording it and, and then, then having to it and then sample it, it, it back right, right while we're having a chill and uh, just saying oh man that sounds cool let's sample that and that's right. how a lot of, and that's probably where that, that sound came from right right and um and yeah so doing that and then that's a mad rise up that sounds new and the beat sort of fell into itself yeah, didn't it it and does more, yeah it and swells into, yeah and that yeah. was like oh my god yeah and by this time it's two o'clock in the morning yeah. and, then, and then the mad trumpet sound comes out I think Shim did the mad trumpet sound and then it's like we need a vocal and then the breakdown and then let's arrange it and then there's a the bit the four bar hangover in the middle where the just just basically the four bar hangover halfway through the, the rollout is basically mm-hmm. to show off that grM tool right again because okay. I was like gotta shoot all that in there again <laughs> <laughs> and to get that in there and
2: <laughs> yes that's such a cool yeah, bit well. I and can then, see why and then, yeah.
3: and then by the time and then it was daylight and the tune <laughs> and the tune was arranged and it was like I don't know if this is any good is it any good <laughs> I don't know but every time we played it and it dropped we laughed it went, oh really literally and I'm not you know that's not to, <laughs> but it, it was like it was like one of these like what is this it's insane and a really yeah. magical, you know, really magical. And we laughed because it was just so like, can't quite work out is this
2: Good or not? <laughs> yeah.
3: Because it was it felt so different. And um Yeah. And I I, I remember the, the affirmation of the track, if you like, was right. um we went to um I think we went to the drum and bass awards, some drum and bass awards or something mm-hmm. like that. And then afterwards the after party was at Bar Rumba. Right in uh, Shaftesbury Avenue with movement at Bar Rumber, I don't know if you know about that. That's legendary night. Thursday nights run by, um, uh, Brian G. Jumping Frost V recordings. And, um, and every week Thursday nights, it was the spot in London. All the heads would go down there. Everybody would have to go down there. And to play there was a big deal. Like, if you're playing mm. there, you've you got to go to Music House, get armed up with some dubs because you've you got to be bringing some beats right. if, you get, if you're playing bar rumba. And this particular night, being that I think it was in a ball tonight, it was everyone was there. Everyone from Ronnie to Dill to Dilly and everybody was there. And um, I had body rock. And I was like, I want to start my set with it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it. <laughs> and I started yes. my set with it. And lit this, the booth just got rushed. Really? Like, everybody rushed the booth, and it got a gazillion rewinds, like, <laughs> insane. <laughs> yes. And we were like, yeah, like it's, it is cool. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, massively it's cool. Good. And then when I'm coming to the end of my set, Ronnie, was, Ronnie Sires is running in the thing, and he's like, you've got to finish with that tune. What, body roll? Yeah, and I said, well, I started with it. He's like, you've got to play it
0: again. No I'm way!
3: And it's, I think it's the f- it's the only time I've ever started and finished a song with, with the, the same track. Because no everybody way. wanted to hear it again.
2: Well, that brings me on very nicely to actually <laughs> letting my podcast listeners hear it. I, I hope think it you lives should up introdu- to the start. <laughs> 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 it was
3: a where it, very long explanation. Well,
2: it definitely does in my book, it's one of my favourite drum and bass tracks ever. And I think you should introduce this one.
3: Um, this is um, what we've just been waxing lyrical about for quite a while. I hope <laughs> you like it. It is Shimon and Andy C., and this is Body Rock.
2: What an absolute tune, man! I mean, I can't, I can't get through that tune without telling someone to fuck off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of them for me.
3: Yeah, we were, we we're, um, were very proud of that.
2: Yeah, I bet, man, that's a proper moment, um, and still is uh, for, th- especially as like a new generational person listening to drum and bass. I, you know, you pick up on things that are just timeless, and Body Rock is one of those. Um, but let's. Um, Let's focus on your final uh, your track. Back to you. Yeah. Um. And can you give me a little bit of detail behind it? And
3: well, well, you know, this harks back to so when I'm when I'm first got a Dex, or when I'm listening to pirate radio. So but I, Center Force FM used to be on eighty-eight point three. Used to be on. 24 hours a day. No way. Back in the day. So I'd be getting up for school and I'd be listening to pirate radio. At lunchtime, I'd have it on my Walkman. No way. If anyone wants to know what a Walkman is, you can Google it.
2: I had one (laughs) once.
3: (laughs) You wouldn't think I'm only 27, would you? No. Um, uh, And then after school, I'd be listening to pirate radio again. And so I used to religiously record um, tracks that i that I adored and loved. And this track to me, you know, like, so if you can plot a thing from going out and hearing Young MC Nowhere and the funk breaks and the wah-wah guitars and because I was really into funk and the old, you know, film soundtracks when car chases are on with wah-wahs and this, that, and the other. <laughs> and then this, this has got, for me, the building blocks of rave, big rave warehouse tunes that I think... A lot of us back in the day in drum and bass, um, if you think of the darker side of drum and bass and the sort of the feeling of, you know, grimy clubs and yep. dusty ware, empty warehouses yep. with strobes and lights and, you know, yep. just that hedonistic vibe of raving. This, yeah. this for me, has got, like, the intro to Dark Strings. I was obsessed with the Dark Strings. Um, I rem- I, re- I actually remember hearing it eventually in a rave in North London somewhere and it just blowing my mind the bleeps the bleeps were perfect and when the sub bass comes in I mean it's like at the time there weren't any tunes that really did I don't think there were you know the sub bass comes in out of nowhere and blows the system to smithereens and, um,
2: it's very robots making noise, right?
3: It, it Well, it is, yeah. Mm. It's robots making noise. It's a very, well, the drum, the drum pattern is very uh, static, but it, it's an absolute legendary cla- yeah. uh, classic on warp records, you know. And the track's LFO, mm-hmm. um, which anybody from back in the rave day and my era and dark, the darker side of drum and bass, which is what I was into massively. Yeah. Um, would it would resonate with and uh, I eventually found out what it was called and I Mm. bought it on record I had had a release copy obviously because I weren't cool enough to have a white label of it (laughs) I was a bit young at the time but I had a release copy but in a wonderful round circle years later I was playing in Leeds um, and when I finished my set the promoters like do you want a drink of course yeah let's have a couple of drinks and went down into the the basement of the, of the of the club, and we walked into this studio with racks of records and records and a mixing desk, and um and we were just ch- chatting the breeze. He's like, oh, you know, this is where that LFO record was made.
2: <sighs> no, yeah, no and I was like I, I, like,
3: I had a religious experience right at that moment because I was like, this is amazing. Yeah, I'm stood in the room.
2: That tune was Where made. Where this
3: record I was absolutely obsessed with by was chance. made. By chance, by chance, having a having a wonderful time, <laughs> uh, having a couple of drinks, chatting to a promoter because I've just DJed. Yeah. I mean, how you know, like that. There's it, a there's it, it, so many beautiful circles that I've been able to experience I in bet, my career, yep. and one and that is one of them. You yep. know, now I'm now I'm being paid to play at this club and the promoter's giving me drinks and he's telling me this is where LFO, LFO was made. So cool. So cool. <laughs> and uh, so this tune did resonate with me and because of that resonates even more. And when you, um, you know, about being cheesy, when the sub kicks in, if anyone's got their uh, mm. system turned up, <laughs>
2: they'll feel why. Okay, without further ado, this is LFO by LFO. Indeed, wow. on Warp. Andy, this is like the end of my podcast now. And I really want to thank you for being here. And you are one of my heroes. And that's very kind of you. Becca. It is um, an thank you. Thank absolute you for pleasure. Me. This is one of my full circles, actually. Um, Going from listening to you in my bedroom as a 15 year old to now sitting in a studio talking to you about your career and progression in music. It's very amazing. It's a big moment. Um, So, I'm going to not gas you up anymore and just ask you um, the the reason why we're here is to talk about rave culture and how it has changed over the years and whether I feel like I'm missing out on something or whether I don't have anything to worry about. So, in your humble opinion, to finish my podcast, do you think rave has changed?
3: Well, Rave has changed. Of course, it has massively because now the access to it is uh, so much shall we say, easier, more organised choices. You know, hmm. you want to go to an overseas festival, where well, you've got multiple, which month do you want to go? May, right. June, August, Very July, good point. you know, September. You can pick and choose, you can try a different one every year, but that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, I do believe, well, I know for a fact, I mean, if you take, um, if you just take a community of people I know, like I played in Bristol at the weekend, Mary and Nahum were there, they fly over from the Maldives uh, to pretty much, well, well, they came to every single night XOY of thirteen weeks straight. No yep. way. They would fly from the Maldives, Maldives, Dubai, Dubai, Heathrow, land at nine PM, come rave, six AM, they're back at the airport flying home. They oh came to my every week. God. Which is a beautiful thing. They were in Bristol at the weekend. They were Fan at base, all night a, bro. But they are they are beautiful people, right? And then you got Sanjay and Claire used to rave down there. So what I'm saying is the community vibe yeah. that I was alluding to earlier. Yeah you can still create that people still make friends even At though a rave. raving exactly yeah. mm-hmm. so even though raving has changed in a in a in a in a big big way music consumption has changed but we're not talking about that we're talking about the rave and i think that raving is the best it's ever been yeah. i think that there's uh i think that now people purposely organized stuff that's a bit more grimy so you can have that experience i mean of course we've all got glastonbury you know if we want to get grimy it's right there for us and the british weather will provide it yeah (laughs) Yeah. and and these amazing lineups are there and we've also got the small grimy club uh, grimy clubs you've got um you know drum and bass is so healthy right now with the with the influx of new producers yeah a much more rawer sound yeah At its core than what what has been prevalent in, in, you know, maybe the past decade. Yeah, you've got this Mm. whole
2: thing about horns now in general race and rollers. and and, roar and
3: and fantastic. And Mm. that is where, that's where the real shit's born. And that's where the new, um, the next generation and the next decade...
2: Will carry it forward. Will
3: carry forward. Mm. And we've got small nights happening with that. And then we've got the big raves coming and we can... Mm. Because we now... um, have, you know we're so ingrained in the scene we you know if I do a stage at a festival I can bring these guys through and then obviously yeah. the other promoters bring them through and yeah. we're all working together
2: to progress the scene yeah, yeah. And, it,
3: and it grows I, I think it's the. I honestly think it's the. I see people having fun you know in so many different places whether it be at the gigs I'm playing at or whether it be if I come across stuff on Instagram which yeah. looks fantastic because mm-hmm. I vibe for of that as well you yeah, know yeah, yeah. everybody loves to see people having fun yeah It's beautiful and it makes you look forward to the weekend. Yeah. You know, so I think it's changed for the better. I mean, don't get me wrong. Everybody's got their wistful thinking about how it used to be. I like to look forward.
2: That's amazing. Well, I don't feel feel like I've missed out anymore. I feel like I can go to raves now and live the best rave life that there has ever been. So, Andy, thank you so much. This has been my guest for the second podcast. It is Andy Seath. Thank you so much for being here.
3: Thank you very much for having us.